chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to have one open, and that's uh, there in the pew rack in front of you. There's probably one that you could reach and uh, find our passage. The page number is in the order of service. There's an outline on the back of the uh, worship folder as well to help you follow along. If you're uh, watching from Pinecrest this morning, um, looking forward to being with you this afternoon for your chapel service, and I promise it'll be a different sermon than the one you're watching right now. So we're looking forward to uh, some ministry there this afternoon and grateful for that place and the people, our people that are there and others looking forward to some ministry there this afternoon. Romans 6, and our passage will be the latter part of this chapter that we began last week. You've probably seen it uh, frequently in the, in the news this past year, the Great Resignation a lot of people quitting their jobs. Uh, Pew Research said that the quit rate uh, reached a 20-year high last November, and they did surveys as to you know, why, why are people quitting their jobs, and there were a, quite a variety of answers. Uh, some people said they were working too many hours. Some people said they were working too few hours on their job. Some wanted more flexibility in their schedule, and some didn't want to have to get the vaccine when their company required it. Uh, if you were not a part of the Great Resignation, uh, either continuing to work in your same job or maybe you're already retired or maybe you, you work from home, uh, you're seeing the, the labor shortages all around and you're wondering, how can so many people quit? I mean, how, how are they paying their bills? And, and then maybe the next thing that comes in your mind is, well, I wonder if those stimulus checks, maybe, maybe they stimulated some of the wrong things. Um, you know, free money. Why work? I mean, it's pretty... Uh, in, one, in one way, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Free money, why work? But it's a, a twisted logic, and it's the same twisted logic that can come into the gospel, too. Some might hear the good news of Jesus Christ in the Bible that we uh, proclaim week in and week out that, that even though we were condemned before God because of our sin, we can be justified, given a righteous standing for the final judgment, not through our good works, our obedience to God's law, but simply through faith, through faith in God, who His provision through Christ's sacrifice on the cross so that we can be saved from the wrath to come, saved from God's wrath, welcomed into God's presence, saved from everlasting hell. Salvation is a gift, God's grace that we receive through faith. Free salvation? Why work? Right? Uh, in a way, it makes perfect sense, but it can also lead us in a completely wrong direction. Uh, no, you don't work to earn or to achieve your salvation, but those who have been saved do work. Okay, well, how does that all fit together? Well, we're going to see that this morning. So last week, again, the beginning of Romans 6, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection and our new life in Him. When we are found in Him by faith, united with Christ through faith, repentance, and expressed in our baptism taking that initial step as a follower of Christ. We'll finish the chapter this morning, overlapping a bit with last week's text. And, you know, I, I just think it's best if I just read the whole chapter straight through. This is God's Word. And one, uh, while we believe in the, the preaching, the pr proclamation of God's Word, we also just believe that God's Word is, is true and powerful in itself. And just, just in the reading, I, I, I think God works and we'll be at work as we listen to God's Word. So listen, follow along. This is Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin 
that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's such a beautiful statement. Can we read that all together? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could do a whole sermon from just that verse. It's there. It's beautiful. So here's the, here's the theme for today. Grace does not set you free to sin. It sets you free from sin to serve God. That, that's, that's, how, that's how we can get, we can say at the same time, free salvation, you don't, you don't work for it. But free salvation, why work? Well, there's a whole new reason for working, for serving, for doing what is right and good. We serve God. We're going to see this in three parts this morning. Who's the boss? What's the product? And how's the pay? So here's part one. Who's the boss? 
In Christ, you must serve God, not sin. Profound. I mean, it's, it's so simple, and yet this is, we got to start here. This is, this is, it's that basic, but it's that fundamental, and if you start on the wrong, going in the wrong direction, you will completely end up in the wrong place. We ended last week with verses 12 to 14, but we didn't go very deep in those verses. They give practical application to the believer's union with Christ. With Christ, you died to sin, so don't let sin reign over you. Don't present yourselves to sin, present yourselves to God. And the next paragraph, 15 to 19, ends with the same instructions in the last verse, in 19, you used to give your life to sin, so now give your life to do what's right. And in between those repeated instructions is the reason why. And it has to do with the functional authority in your life. So I'm homing in right now on verses 15 and 16. Look at those again. Verses 15 and 16. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Understood, of course, or of obedience, or of God, doing, obeying God. So, do you not know? Paul say, like, seriously? You're, you're going to say, somebody out there might, might say, well, we're under God's grace, so let's sin. Like, no, no. He's, are, are you ignorant, naive? You're just fooling yourself? Don't, don't you realize whoever it is that you are obeying, that's who you're a slave to. Now, here's why this is a, a wake-up call. This is a truth bomb just dropping right here. Because most of us think, no, no, no. Not, I'm, I'm not a slave. I'm my own boss. We think, I'm not, I don't serve anybody. I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm making the rules. And you, you know, just like, sure, I've got, got a lot of people that are cramping my style, uh, getting in my way, keeping me from doing all the things that I want to do, like my husband, my wife, my kids, my, my employer, my teacher, the government. All these people are trying to keep me from doing what I want to do, but really, uh, and, that, and that's, why, that's why we're so often frustrated in life. We, we have the basic... Uh, fundamental understanding that I'm in charge of my life and all these other people are getting in the way. You people are making demands on my time and energy and resources and, and I just I need to get out free to where I can do what I want. I'm in charge. Now, pay attention to how much advertising is based on that fundamental premise. You know, this car, this vacation, this prescription medication, or just beers on a beach. I mean, it's freedom. This will either give you freedom or help you to enjoy the freedom that you ought to have. Uh, or consider the, the basic plot of uh, many Disney movies, even before the recent controversies going on from Disney. If you could just, uh, you know, the, the hero or the heroine, if you could just throw off the constraints of tradition and convention and all the expectations of your parents and, and the past, freedom. I just need to be free to be who I want to be. Now, but don't you know, Paul says, you are a slave to the one to whom you obey, whomever you obey, even if it's yourself and your dreams. You can be a slave to that. And we can, we can start to see this. No, we, we say this, right? Um, we see it when, it when it comes to our possessions. Like the more stuff you own, the more it owns you. Uh, you end up 
uh, spending more of your time, how do, where, where do I store my stuff? How do you protect my stuff? How do, how do, trying hard to find time to enjoy the stuff that promised me joy. Uh, the things that promised you freedom leave you feeling trapped, leave you chained. And that's all the more true when it comes to actual sin. Not just stuff, but, but sin. It promises freedom, but it leaves you in chains. We, we recognize, you know, it's easy to see addictions, uh, alcohol or drugs or gambling. Uh, you're a slave and you know it. But think about the ways that maybe we don't see the slavery. You, you build your life on, on deception, on flattery, on spin, and you will be a slave of the lies that you have constructed. You base your value on your good looks or athleticism and you become a slave to fitness. You're always afraid of the girl who's prettier or hotter, the guy who's bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. And you're not free. You're a slave. It's just how it works. You're a slave to the one to whom you obey. And Paul is here not offering you and I absolute freedom. Let me, let me set you free so you can, without any encumbrance or obstacle, pursue your dreams and pursue your agenda with, with absolute freedom. That's not what Paul is offering us today. He's offering you a better boss better boss than your, than your sin, a better boss than you. And as, as Bob Dylan put it a long time ago, you got to serve somebody. So the right boss, the right Lord and master is our Savior Jesus. So pay, pay close attention to how Paul is talking to you as a Christian. He says, you used to serve sin. But you are a part of the great resignation, if we can put it this way. You, man, you, you quit that old life, you're starting a new one. Not, not to be free, not to be your own boss, but free to work, free to serve God. So verses 17 and following. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He, he Paul's recognizing that it's strange to talk about being a slaves in a positive way. Uh, even in Paul's day, in the, the Roman Empire, uh, slavery was very common, but nobody wanted to be a slave. Uh, he's certainly not saying that we were slaves like the Roman Empire, like you know, 19th century Mississippi or anything like that. That was a, a horrible, degrading experience. What he is saying is that we belong to the one that we serve. And, and, and our God, he does have complete authority over our lives. The question is, who are we going to serve? Is it going to be sin or is it going to be God? Remember back in the book of Exodus when the people of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt. And what did God tell Moses to say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. There's more to it. Let my people go that they may serve me. Some translations have worship me and that's, that's appropriate. The word can go that direction. But let my people go that they may serve me is in some sense an even more radical statement. Now, the, the reason why it's tied is that Pharaoh saw himself as a god. So the, it was all tied together. But, but let my people go that they may serve me uh, works in, in many powerful ways. So uh, sometimes we talk about our, well, we talk about our worship service. Uh, let me clarify. That does not mean uh, 
Thank you for coming. Logan and I are here to serve you. We're, this is a worship service. We're here to serve you. No, we are a worship service. We are all here to serve God. We're all here to offer our worship to the Lord. So we're all in the service, in the worship service. So God was saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know you think that these are your people, like the, like the, the people of Israel, they're your pawns, they're, they're your tools to, to do your thing, but these are my people. Let my people go that they may serve me. That's why, that's why we're set free, to serve God. Just like the people of Israel, God has redeemed you and me through Christ. That redemption, that's a slavery word. It's, it's paying the price to purchase your freedom by the blood of the Lamb, but you belong to Him now. In Christ, you must serve God, not sin. 1 Peter 4 begins this way. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, thinking of His death on the cross, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. If you're, if you're going through life with the attitude, my will be done, you're not following Jesus. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but yours be done, as he went to the cross. So take, take a look at, at your life. Consider Maybe take a moment even later this afternoon to, to think through. So what does it look like in my day-to-day? Is, who, who's the boss? Who's, who's setting the, the agenda? Who's making the priorities? Who's deciding where the, where the money goes? Uh, are, are we living for ourselves? Are we the boss? <laughs> even more troubling, is it my sin? Or is God leading? Is God directing? Is God calling and we are following? Now, go back to those instructions in verses 13 and, at the, and the, repeated at the end of 19. It's not only about what or who you are working for, but then also what are you making or producing in your work in this sense. So verse 13 Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Jumping down to the end of 19, much the same. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So this is part two. What's the product? What are we making? What, what's pr- being produced in, our, in the work that we are doing? In Christ, you must give your life to do what's right, not wrong. And again, this sounds, okay, wait, Bruce, serve God, not sin, do right, not wrong. Sounds like, you know, are we toddlers here? Be good little boys and girls. Uh, it's, here's the thing. It's not complicated. At, at one level, it is not complicated. We just hear that we read the text and we hear the words righteousness and unrighteousness, and it all sounds so formal. And we, we only read these words in the Bible and these, use these words in church. But this is about what you give your life to every day. Are you doing what is right in God's eyes? Are you doing, what it, are you doing some 
positive good that pleases him. That's not, if that's your concern, that's not you being a moralist or a legalist unless you're saying, okay, if I just do enough, then maybe God will accept me and love me and save me. If I just do the right things, if I don't mess up, then God will, will be happy with me. Then I'll be accepted. That's moralism and legalism. But saying, I want to, I've given my life to Christ. God sets the agenda. He calls the shots. I want to do what's right to please and honor him. That's, that's just glorifying God. That's just living life as his people and, and, and for all the things that he wants from us and for us. So just as we all need to recognize that we're, we're all serving someone, we also need to recognize just taking time to appreciate that we're all producing good or evil. You are, in the words of this text, presenting your members as instruments. And each of those words uh, is worth some closer attention. The word translated as present, present yourselves, present your members. It's used elsewhere in Scripture as in offering a sacrifice, some of you are already thinking, uh, jumping ahead to Romans 12 in your mind. I, I'm going to slip into King James now. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, so that you're already jumping there. Um, but, but it's used as off present to bring a sacrifice. But it can also refer to uh, placing something at someone's disposal, which, of course, is what you do as a slave or a laborer. Uh, your body is at, is at your master's disposal for the work that needs to be done. Israelites, you know, come to the Egyptian foreman in the morning. What are we doing? We're building pyramids. Let's go. Uh, it, it, I, I had experience like this. Maybe you did. A, a job uh, after, right after high school, the summer after high school, I was working for a small engineering company, and I did about everything that required unskilled labor because that's what I was. Uh, some days I loaded the equipment and drove uh, to a work site. Some days I held the stick for the survey crew, you know, skilled, unskilled labor. Uh, some days I cleaned the office, mowed the lawn, shingled the garage roof. Every morning I present myself to the boss. What do you want me to do? Paul wants you to think about presenting yourself, presenting your members. So that is thinking in terms of your eyes, your, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. If you're as old or older than I am, maybe you sang a little song in Sunday school. You know what I'm thinking of? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And apparently Sunday school teachers love to stretch the time because they had so many verses to this song. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And there were more. And you would sing all of these verses. And, and, and it's true enough. I mean, we do have to be careful because all we can get in trouble in all these ways. But understand that that song, even that song is not enough because just closing your eyes or filtering, sitting on your hands, keeping your hands to yourself is not enough. It's not what God's doing. He's not just saying, hey, no, nope, don't look at that. Nope, 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 don't listen to that. Don't say that. He wants us to do something, to make something, to produce something with our hands, feet, eyes, ears, mouth. These, you're presenting, look, he says, you're presenting these members as instruments. 
The same Greek word there, translated instruments, can be used to describe tools or weapons in Paul's day. So think, think of the different parts of your body, uh, and, and let's include not just, you know, eyes, ears, but let's include your brain, right? Part of your body. So think, think in terms of all the ways that your intelligence, your creativity, your strength, your skill can be used as tools to make things or to repair things, can be used as weapons to defeat maybe things that need to be defeated, or maybe can hurt or destroy when they shouldn't. See, the thing is, you can do powerful things with who you are, with, with, with listen, the things that God gave you to do powerful things with. He, he's given you those abilities, those skills. Yes, your body, your intelligence, your, your personality, the, the gifts and abilities that you, that you have that are unlike someone else. That's why it's so important that we answer this who's the boss question first because do you show up Monday, Monday morning and present yourself to sin? You can do a lot of damage. Or do you present yourself to God? Because that, that, that is going to determine what you are accomplishing. What a shame to use the tools that God has given us for sin. If, you have, if you're here and you've got a, a way with words, you've just got a, a confidence and a, and a charisma, you're able to, to communicate well, maybe the written page or maybe standing in front of others, and you, you, that's powerful. Are you a compelling voice for truth for, uh, or a, 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 a sweet and tender and, and careful voice for encouragement? Or are you given over to complaints and uh, unfair criticism for uh, gossip or sowing division. Man, that's, that's using your tools for the wrong thing. Are, are you good with your hands? Maybe, maybe you're a skilled mechanic. Uh, do you use your ability to repair uh, others' automobiles the right way the first time? Or are your customers uh, breaking down sometime in the next week having to come back to you for more repairs? What are we doing with what God has given us? Do you have a knack for numbers? Do you, do you help your company track their finances, balance the books, use their resources strategically, or do you cook the books and find a little, little place for you to tuck some away for yourself? Paul is appealing to believers on the basis of your faith in Christ, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. For just as you, or verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, once meaning in the past, that's, that's what you used to do, that's who you used to be. So now, again, 19 continues, now that you have put your faith in Christ, now that you are united with Christ, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. And, like, and somebody's still like, but Paul, Paul, what about grace? What about, I thought we were saved by grace, not by good works. Folks, listen, God has bigger plans for you than just saving you from hell. He's got bigger plans for you and for this world than just getting you out of hell. It's not just about what you're saved from, but what you are saved for. Yes, you are saved from, at the final judgment, on the basis completely of what Christ has done for you and nothing on what you have done. And yet, he saved you from that on the basis of what Christ has done by sheer grace, but he saved you for something. To, to bring him glory in the world that he has made, 
to make a difference in a world that is filled with darkness, to be a light shining. Uh, look at these verses. Uh, Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God, you know what, they're on the screen. Let's read them together. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Look some more at that last verse, verse 14. Why did Jesus give himself for us on the cross? We might even say, why did Jesus, what did Jesus seek to accomplish when he presented his members as instruments of righteousness? Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness. That's the first part. Romans 3, 24, right after, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption, right here in that verse. I'm pointing to the screen because that's what I'm looking at. It's right there. Uh, to re- redeem us from all lawlessness. Redemption is, yes, our salvation, our paying the penalty, paying the price to make us his own. He wants to do that. That is that's so that redemption is connected certainly to our justification. We do not gain a righteous standing before God on the basis of our deeds, only on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross for us, but that's not all that he wants to do. In that verse, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to save us from sin, and from sinful activity, notice, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Also related to redemption, he purchases us for himself, but he is making a holy people. And that connects to our word in, back here in Romans 6 of sanctification. So here's the thing. What Paul is basically, without saying it, he is asking us to hold these big doctrines together that he's been unfolding and unpacking for us through these chapters, justification and sanctification. Can we hold those together? Paul expects us to. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus gave his life for, Titus 2.14 says. You are saved, you are, excuse me, you are not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. Or as we often repeat from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But it goes on, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the answer. When we talk about who's the boss and what's the product, what's supposed to be produced in our lives, the good works that can only come from a life that's been redeemed, Life has been saved and transformed, not only made ready for the final judgment, but made holy for today. Who's the boss? What's the product? Another question when you're maybe uh, looking for that next job, how's the pay? A little playful there, but here's the last point. How's the pay? In Christ, you will receive eternal life as a gift, not the death you deserve. 
So listen to those last few verses again, uh, especially how Paul challenges Christians like us by comparing, again, who you used to be before Christ with who you are now in Christ. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you, get, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, this is a good time for a little brief review from our sermon last week. Remember that we said Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty of our sin, paid sin's penalty so that we are justified at the final judgment. Sometimes we stop there thinking that ju- the justification, that's the whole package, right? And, and in one sense, that is the, it is the core. It is the turning point. If you're not justified, you're, you're not saved. But it's not everything that God wants to do when he redeemed us through what Christ did on the, for us on the cross. So yes, paid the penalty, but Jesus also broke sin's power. Broke sin's power over us, but not... Uh, we're reading all this set free from sin, and we're like, uh, I'm not feeling it. Uh, well, remember what we said. It broke, Jesus' death broke sin's power. It need not reign over us anymore, but sin still is present in our lives. Paid the penalty, broke the power, though, though we have to say sin is still present among us. And, and that's reflected right here in this passage. For all the ways you've been set free, you've been set free. That's not who you are anymore. He's also having to say, so don't let sin reign over you. Don't, don't make, make sure you're not giving your, presenting your bodies to sin. Don't, don't do that. I mean, that's, that's still where we're at. In one sense, a decisive victory has been won. And in another sense, we are still in the battle. Remember D-Day? V-E-Day? We're still in the in between. The the turning point of the war and the battle and the war being done. We're still in the battle. And, and sometimes the fighting is fierce. This is why Paul keeps challenging believers. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Don't let sin reign. Don't present your members to sin. So, verse 20, he's saying, Do, do I need to remind you what your old life was like before Christ? And, and you know, if, if maybe you grew up in the church and you've never been in just complete uh, blatant rebellion against the ways of God. So you've got to just understand where he's following. Some of you, though, you know all too well. This is a real thing. And, and it's good for us to hear, and, and you might, I know you might be embarrassed to say where you used to be, where God has you now. But, oh, we need those stories. We need to know. We need to hear. And just whether that's from the platform or just in your small group or just with a friend, to, just, to, just to review for the good of your own soul and for others to say, look, this is where God has brought me. This is where I used to be. Thank God I'm not there anymore. Paul is saying, do I need to remind you what your old life was like before Christ? Sure, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, you felt no obligation to do what is right, no, no social pressure to do the right thing. You had no guilty conscience. You were free. And a lot of people like that kind of freedom. That's, that's a lot of free, that kind of freedom is being pushed, promoted, paraded in, in our culture today. That, that kind of freedom. No, I don't have any obligations to do what's right. I don't have any, I don't answer to God. I don't have a guilty conscience about it. 
And Paul's saying, okay, you were free. How's that working for you? How, how did that work for you back then? Now, I may have confused the issue a little bit by, because uh, fruit in this section, this, these last few verses, is actually a, a step beyond what, what I was referring to in the last part of the sermon as the product. What are we making? Are we, are we producing righteousness or unrighteousness in our lives? This fruit here is, is a step beyond that. Fruit's not the product in one sense. It's what comes after what you have made. Um, and, then the, and then beyond that in these verses is the end. Okay, where does it go? What's the final destination on that path that you're on? So verse 21 but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? When you were slaves of unrighteousness, when you were producing unrighteousness, what fruit were you getting from that? For the end of those things is death. So, giving yourself to sin, presenting yourself to sin, doing works of unrighteousness, what fruit were you getting from that? That's going to lead you to death. So, play this out. And again, remember, he's talking to, to Christians, so let's, let's just keep it in that vein. Uh, you're a Christian, and let's say you are tempted to let sin rule over you. Even though Jesus forgave your sin, he died to break sin's power over you, um, that it's all true, but, oh, man, you're not, you're not there. And you're, you're pulled in another direction. And so let's say, let's say when it comes to family conflict, um, think of the, the tensions maybe you experience with your extended family or within your immediate family. Uh, you, you, it used to be easy, so to speak. You used to be free. You felt no obligation to be fair or even-handed or to be a listener or to be a peacemaker. Used to be, you, you didn't feel any pressure, any guilt to have to do all that stuff. You had no reason to be kind or gracious or merciful like God has been to you now. You used to use whatever harsh words would uh, do the most damage. I mean, family, you know the buttons and you're pushing them. And you're making accusations, you're assigning the worst motives, you're hitting them where it hurts. But don't you remember what happened when you did that? Don't you remember the fruit that came from that? You, you, you cut people emotionally, you, you left them broken, you destroyed what was a, a, meant to be, in God's design, a safe and supportive place for them and for you. That's the fruit of sin. And it's on the road to death. Let's play that out differently. Let's turn that all around. Let's say you used to be, before Christ, you used to be, uh, let's, shall we say, pretty loose uh, romantically before Christ. Guys, girls, easy come, easy go. Uh, you know, everyone knows that's how love works these days. Uh, commitment is just a promise you make to get what you want. But don't you remember the fruit that came from that sin? Oh, maybe there was some short-term pleasure. But as time went on, as you went from one to another to another another, didn't you find yourself always performing, always baiting the next trap? You were cheapening them, and you were cheapening you. In Christ, Paul says, that's not who you are anymore. You've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. God makes the rules now, not the dating app, not the bar scene. And, and what comes then of the honesty and integrity? What comes from the patience and kindness 
and transparency and the generosity that you show to others as you build a relationship the right way. What happens when you do all those things? Well, perhaps the fruit of better, healthier friendships, of love, perhaps marriage, perhaps family. And even more than that, even if, that, even if it all doesn't turn out that way, do you know what that also leads to? This pastor says it, to your sanctification. Like you, you are becoming more and more holy. That's just what the word means. You're just becoming more and more godly. You're becoming more and more distinct from all the foolishness and brokenness of this world and not, not, oh, I'm becoming better. Slowly, God is making you more the person that he wants you to be. And that is a beautiful thing. And where does that lead? It says to, to life. Even to eternal life. Now, folks, listen. Paul's not saying here that you sin your way out of salvation any more than you can obey your way into it. But pay attention to the road you're on. You, or as the Bible says frequently, you, you will reap what you sow. There is fruit from your behavior, and it leads to either life or death. What is the road that you're on? For the Christian, that's all the more a, a question that you have to deal with. You, you know the road you've said when, when, you, when you followed Christ in baptism, you're saying, I'm leaving this behind. This is where I'm going now. And yet, somehow we seem to find all kinds of exit ramps and detours. There are all those opportunities on the way. And you got to, like, wait, wait, what's the road I'm on? Who am I following? Who's the boss? What am I making with my life? And what's the payoff? Where's, where's the end? But here's the beautiful thing. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we have left grace. Do you see that? It's right here in this last verse. Yes, the wages of sin is death. You will, if, if you pursue sin, you will get what you deserve. That's what wages are. You'll get what you earned. You will get what you are owed. And the wages of sin is death. Apart from Christ, death is all that we deserve for our sin. But, listen, better than getting paid for doing what is right, is what we have here. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And folks, God does not owe it to you. It's grace. But that grace does not open the door to go back to your old life of sin. It doesn't. Grace does not set you free to sin. It sets you free to serve God. Or, and I'll close with this, 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God help us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, save your church from being moralists, being self-righteous. God, help your church, help your people to, again, to take hold of the grace that you give 
and press into the life that you have, you have won for us through Jesus. Lord, how, how, could we, how could we forsake all that you have done, all that you want for us, the price that you paid for our redemption? Make us a people of your own possession who are zealous for good works. And you, we will rejoice in belonging to you and blessing others in your name. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.